0: Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order, additional term supply.
1: This is the Danny Parking Show.
2: It's coming to you live from the Rocket Mortgage by Quicken and Loan Studios. Millions of Americans finance the home of their dreams with their help. They can help you too. Rocket Mortgage push button. Get mortgage. 855-212-4227 is CBS Sports Radio's toll-free line brought to you by Geico. Great news. There's a quick way you could save money. Switch to Geico. Go to geico.com, and in 15 minutes, you could save 15% or more on car insurance. It is Monday in the Eastern and Central time zones. Cowboys and Giants tonight. Crazy week in the NFL that saw Minchu Mania crash and burn. The Chiefs pick up a huge win to cement their status, I think, as a team in the driver's seat for the two-seed, even if some tiebreakers aren't going their way, like how the schedule shapes up for them. Story of the day, Patriots lose. Only one undefeated team left. That's the San Francisco 49ers. Lamar Jackson made his case with three touchdowns in a nationally televised game for MVP of the league. He'd be top three for me, but Russell Wilson would be my first-half MVP. Christian McCaffrey would be my first-half MVP offensive player of the year another three touchdown game and a win and a cover for the Carolina Panthers the Bears season I mean it's over the Eagles I think have put themselves in the driver's seat to win the NFC East they're five and four with two left against the Giants Miami and Washington that gets them to nine wins then they just got to beat New England Dallas or Seattle. At home, all of those games in Philadelphia, you win one of those three games, you win 10 games. That'll be enough to win the NFC East. Dallas's schedule gets harder. Philly's gets easier. I think Philly, even though uh, they're going to get the Patriots out of a buy and the Patriots are going to be a very motivated team going to the buy off that performance. I don't love Philly in that spot at home, but uh, I do think Philly will be able to win the NFC East, eight five five, two one two, four two two seven for your top takeaways of the day in the NFL. I would say the team that maybe isn't getting the love right now that I think can win the Super Bowl. It's not like here's how I'll look at it. Here's how I'll phrase it: San Francisco can win the Super Bowl, Seattle can win the Super Bowl, New Orleans can win the Super Bowl, Green Bay can win the Super Bowl. The Chiefs can win the Super Bowl, the Texans, the Patriots, and the Ravens. Those are the eight teams that can win the Super Bowl. I don't think Buffalo can. I don't think the Colts can. I don't know which four win AFC team is going to sneak in and be the sixth seed with like eight or nine wins. I don't know whether it'll be the Raiders or the Chargers or the Steelers. The Bills are in a driver's seat there. We'll see how bad the Jacoby Brissett injury is and if the Colts fall back a bit. But the AFC is better than people give it credit for. I still think the NFC is more top-heavy with New Orleans, San Francisco, Green Bay, Minnesota, and Seattle. I think all five of those teams are better than any team in the NFC East. But like I said, I think Philly is going to win that division. But I don't think any team that comes out of there can win it. I want to say that Seattle is a legitimate Super Bowl contender, but their defense just really bothers me. Their offense has such a high ceiling. Their offense is so damn good, and Russell Wilson is so impressive, but God, is their defense bad? Teams that have given up more points than the Seahawks in the NFC, Arizona, Tampa, Atlanta. That's the list. Those are also the only teams in the entire NFL that have given up more points except you have to add the Miami Dolphins. So Seattle has I mean Miami, Arizona, Tampa, Atlanta, only teams in the league that have given up more points than the Seahawks. If you've got the MVP, I think you've got a shot to win the Super Bowl and I think that's what Russell Wilson is doing and they're 7 and 2, but man, that is just horrendous horrendous defense. For a legitimate contender. San Francisco also with Jimmy Garoppolo though. Like if they're the one seed. That's going to be a one seed ripe for an upset. I'm very much looking forward to Breeze. Continuing this run for New Orleans. Obviously as he continues to round into form. He looks pretty damn good. Coming back from the thumb injury. But as he gets more and more fresh. They're the best team in the NFC. I'd still give the Patriots. The best team overall. And I still would give the Chiefs the second-best team overall, even though they're 6-3 and with three losses at home. They've been so banged up. I think they got the second-best coach. I think they got the best quarterback. I think they got the best duo of skill position players for their system with Kelsey and Tyree Kill. And when Frank Clark comes back with a healthy Chris Jones, their defense is not good, but that's at least – the makings of a team that can rush the passer once they have leads, and they're going to have leads in most of their games because their offense can score 30 a game. But they haven't had Frank Clark and Chris Jones healthy and playing well at the same time. That's probably a week or two away for the Chiefs. You get Mahomes back healthy. You get Eric Fisher, their left tackle, back healthy. I would power rank the NFL right now Patriots, Chiefs, Saints, Niners, Packers as my top five Super Bowl contenders. 8552124CBS is the telephone number in Arizona. John wants to talk NFL, but first, you go to the front of the line if you got a Popeye's chicken sandwich review. What's up, John?
3: Hey, Danny. Um, man, I just want to tell you about that Popeye's sandwich and it is absolutely delicious. Um, I don't How know How long do you wait? Guys are uh today I was out in uh in California. I'm a truck driver, so um, out past Coachella, it was a bit of a wait, about 40 minutes, but, uh, 40
2: minutes for a fast food sandwich. And it was worth the wait.
3: <laughs> oh, it is absolutely worth the wait. And, uh, <sighs> I had it when it first released and you get the spicy version, man, they've got that spicy sauce on there and it's just incredible. Um, I, I highly recommend.
2: All right, man. Uh, listen, but- I, by by the time I host this show next week, I will have had the spicy chicken sandwich from, from Popeye's. It, it bothers me to my core that I haven't had it yet. <laughs>
3: like, it really. I, I, I it, consider
2: man. myself a skinny fat man. I consider myself a fast food connoisseur. I consider myself uh, the emerald of spicy chicken, and I haven't had it yet. So I will I will write uh, this wrong by next week.
3: Absolutely. Hey, man, my take uh, this week, uh, I'm sure you heard me before. I'm a big Falcons fan, but actually I want to talk about the Buccaneers, and that's the team I pay a lot of attention to, and I want them to be good. I have a lot of family and friends out in, uh, in the Tampa area. And I've seen them put up massive points, not only on the Rams, but also had a great game today, taking the Seahawks to overtime. And I just want the NFC South to be great in all phases on, uh, with the Panthers, the Saints, the Falcons, and the Buccaneers. And I just want to know what you think it's going to take to get them over that hump and, and get them back into serious contention with the NFC South to potentially win it one year.
2: Yeah so yeah I appreciate the call. The Buck the Bucks have a couple of things going on right now. They they got an upgrade at coach. And so their offensive system is better. Like Tampa's a tough out. You look at their games like the, the scores of their game. Lose to Seattle today by 6 in overtime. Lose to the Titans by 4. Uh, Lose to the Panthers by 11, but scored 26 points. Like, that's league average NFL scoring. Like, that's not not a pathetic showing. Lose to the Saints on the road, Superdome, by only a touchdown. So three of their last four games, they were their one-score touchdown or less losses, and all of them, they scored mid-20s or higher. So the offense is there. Jameis is a turnover machine. Who you can't trust. He's a roller coaster. And they are really bad and really young on defense. They've got some talent, but I was reading quotes uh, before the show today, like going over transcripts of the press conferences, the NFL sends them out. Bruce Arians noted today that there was a time on defense when they were playing five rookies on defense. Think about that. They were in Seattle against Russell Wilson today. The king of keeping plays alive, looking down the field, scramble drills. Like, that is a terrible situation to be in. Shaquille Barrett, nice player. They've, they've invested some draft capital there, right? Devin White was the kid from LSU uh, who they took. I think their first five draft picks in the last draft were defensive players. I remember they took that kid out of Auburn in the corner in the third round who I really liked, but they, they're just, they're young on defense and time will tell if they'll ever be good on defense, but they also have a decision to make. Are you going to settle for Jameis growing in Bruce Arians' system and deal with that? Or is Jameis walking? I don't know what they do at quarterback next year. If I was a Buck fan, I would be interested in Bruce Arians getting more of a high floor type of quarterback as a stopgap until you could find your next great quarterback through the draft. I don't think you're ever winning big with Jameis Winston. He makes too many mistakes. And I'm not even talking about the arm punts like the. Bruce Arians loves to throw the ball downfield. He throws a jump ball to Mike Evans. It's a 40-yard pass. It's intercepted. The guy gets tackled. Ah, well, it was like a 40-yard punt. I'm talking drop back to pass, empty hand, ball falls out, and it goes to the ground. Like, he just makes too many mistakes. So, it's a weird spot, but like, would Tampa be better with Ryan Fitzpatrick than Jameis Winston? I think the answer is yes. The ceiling of their offense would be a little lower. But I think Godwin and Evans are good enough that if you just took turnovers away and played those games more even and stopped losing the turnover battle every week, that would be a huge, huge thing for Tampa. So if I'm the Bucks, that's what I would do. Eight five five two one two four two two seven for your top NFL takeaways. Ryan is in Charlotte. He's on the Danny Parking Show. What's up, Ryan? Hey, how's
4: it going, Danny? A few callers ago, took I was gonna had a couple comments I was gonna make, but um, you've answered one of my questions with the Christian McCaffrey um thing. I was gonna ask about him being a possible MVP candidate. I don't I don't think he'll get it because because of his position as a running back. But um, you, you've already you've already covered you've already covered that and answered my question on that. So my other point, and um, I can I can take your response um off air. Um, I. A few weeks ago, you touched on this, and I called last weekend. It's supposed to the guy who was filling in for you. I spoke to him last weekend about it. And um, since you're back, I'd I, I like to ask you the same you, you know, Sure, the, go same ahead. Or talk, or, or, yeah, or, or talk to you about it, about, about the officiating. Like, the, the pass interference, you know, this pass interference rule that they put in this year because of what happened in that playoff game, um, I personally think, and, and I want to know – um, what, do you, what do you think? What do you think? How do you think they can fix it if it's even fixable? But the problem—the problem is—I um, think the NFL is going through the motions of trying to make it seem like they're doing something. And I think the referees are, are also setting up, are, are trying to make a statement too that they don't want any part of this. Like it, it just—it just seems to me like I think maybe one's been overturned, if, if any. But um, it, it just seems like the coaches don't know when to throw the flag. Like the coaches are not. They're not even really challenging anymore because they know they're going to lose a timeout. It's yeah, not, I, got like- I got you. I got
2: you. I I got the gist of your question, Ryan. I appreciate the telephone call, and I appreciate you holding. And just on the thing with McCaffrey for a second, he can win MVP. I just think Offensive Player of the Year makes more sense. But they've won five of their last six. Um, at Green Bay is the mid-afternoon Fox game. They got two against the Saints. They're in Indy. They got Seattle. Like, he's going to have marquee opportunities. So if he sets some yardage records from scrimmage, or like some all purpose yards records, which is in play, right? What's the. Hey, Ryan, can you look up what's the record for yards from scrimmage in a season? I don't know that one off the top of my head. I'd guess it's like 2,400, somewhere in there. What is the yards from scrimmage record in a season, single season? If he flirts with that record, he's got a shot. Certainly if they overtake the Saints in the NFC South, he's got a shot. But I'd say 2,000 yards from scrimmage and 20 touchdowns is the floor for McCaffrey for MVP. As for the referee situation, I think the pass interference rule should go away next year. They did it as a one-year trial balloon. It's a slippery slope, and I normally hate slippery slope arguments, but this one is pretty simple. They decided what happened in the NFC Championship game was untenable. What they didn't realize is that's not the only judgment call penalty that can ruin an end of game, right? Roughing the passer. Judgment call can affect the outcome at the end of the game just like pass interference can. So why should one be reviewable and one not? So logic would dictate that you either have to make all penalties subject to review or no penalties subject to review. I believe it is smarter to make no penalties subject to review because we're always going to have human being referees, at least until our robot overlords take over. And, in, and so since we're not there yet, we should put the genie back in the bottle and say, Sorry, what happened in the NFC championship game is unacceptable. The refs have to be better, but those are the exception calls rather than the rules. And we don't want to make all of these things overturned and just convolute the game. That's how I feel about it. Because I think we've gone too far with replay. I think we've gone too far with replay in all sports. I don't want to do that full show right now, but my evidence for that basically is people who disagree with me, they will say some form of the argument of, well, if you want replay, you want to just get it right. To which I say, I would love to get it right. If replay resulted in them getting it right every time, we'd all take replay. Of course. But how many times do they go to a play that's challenged? The ref makes call a on the field. And then the game's on Fox, and so Mike Pereira comes in, and he's like, I think this should be overturned. I think Al Riveron's going to overturn this one. And then Al Riveron in, you know, the, the booth in New York, they don't overturn it. And so now you got Mike Pereira disagreeing with Al Riveron and the official on the field, and then Dean Blandino weighs in on Twitter and says, actually, I think it... Al Riveron is right. So you've got these guys who literally wrote the rules, who are literally paid, employed professionals to explain the rules to the public, and after video review, they are still disagreeing on how they would call the play off of replay when replay is supposed to be conclusive, and these are rules. These are not things that are supposed to be open to interpretation, even though I know pass interference has some judgment to it. But most of the time... That's the problem with replay, is that sometimes, yes, it's clear. Did he step in inb- inbounds, out of bounds? Did the ball break the plane? Did it not break the plane? Sometimes it's clear. A lot of times it's not, and when it's not, your Zapruder film slowing it down, zooming in, mixing angles, doing all these things that are totally unreasonable to expect a human being to officiate it with, and then with all of that technology, you pull 10 referees. How does this call uh how should it be called with all this technology and you'd get a split down the middle of 50 50 so if you get a split down the middle of 50 50 why are we taking four and a half minutes to review stopping the game killing momentum making the game longer boring your fans confusing your fans making the referee look bad upsetting the coaches upsetting the players when the call on the field was fine so i just think review has gone too far thank you to uh, my executive producer by the way chris johnson the NFL record for yards from scrimmage 2009 season. He had 2,509 yards. So yeah, if Christian McCaffrey figured out a way and they've played what? They've played eight games and he's got... Okay, so the so ESPN hasn't updated his stats. I'll do it during the break and come back with it. I'll, tell, I'll give you the numbers that Christian McCaffrey would need to have for MVP. We'll blitz through some of your calls, and we'll get to last but not least coming up. This is the Danny Parkin Show, CBS Sports Radio.
1: This is the Danny Parkin Show.
2: Thanks for hanging out on the Danny Parkin Show, CBS Sports Radio, radio.com sports. Chris Johnson set the NFL record for yards from scrimmage with 2,509 yards in the 2009 season. That year, he had 16 touchdowns, so 2,509 yards. Keep in mind, he did not win MVP, but 2,509 yards from scrimmage. He had 16 touchdowns. Christian McCaffrey threw eight games, has 1,244 yards from scrimmage and 13 touchdowns. So he is pacing for 2,488 yards from scrimmage, which is a whopping 12, 21 yards short of Chris Johnson's all-time pace. But he's pacing for 26 touchdowns. If Christian McCaffrey gets 2,500 yards from scrimmage or 2,510 and sets the record and gets 10 more touchdowns than Chris Johnson that year, I probably have to amend my previous statement. I think he'd win MVP. Assuming the Panthers were a 9 or a 10 win team, which they're pacing for. So, yeah, Christian McCaffrey can win MVP. I still would have Russell Wilson as my first half MVP, but he can win it. Let's take two calls real quick. Jimmy in Dallas here on the Danny Parkin Show. What's up, Jimmy?
1: Hey, Danny. How you doing? Hey, First of all, everyone knows the refs suck, so get over it. Just go by – I agree with you. Just drop this delay replay thing and just go back to basics and and the refs make mistakes. I tell you what, how about a reward system for the refs? If someone is like 21 of 21 in the passer and you've got it perfect and it's the fourth quarter, then that player, the quarterback, say it's, uh, you know, uh, I don't know, take your pick, Tom Brady – He can challenge the ref good. He's been perfect, and the ref is not. But the players are imperfect. The refs are imperfect to get over it. Uh, To your point about tanking, uh, teams like uh, you mentioned Atlanta, Miami, Cincinnati, everyone's getting ready for the draft. Watch out for that defensive player, Young, for Ohio State. He might go top two in the draft. I do not – you heard it here first. I do not think Tula will be drafted number one. He will go in the first round, but he will not be the first quarterback pick Watch out for the guy from Wake Forest, the Newman guy. And the best team in the NFL is not the Patriots. you got to have an NF- NFC team. If the Patriots were in the NFC, they would be like fifth or sixth place. They are, they're, they're Baltimore proved that. The New England's got some work. They're going to be calling Gronkowski. I think Belichick's trying to find a tight end. They chopped around before trade deadline. They're going to bring back Gronk. Uh, and Watch what happens to Antonio Brown. Who gets Antonio Brown and when? Uh, yeah, achieve. I
2: don't, I don't think Antonio Brown's playing this year, man. I really don't, but a lot of your points. listen, Chase Young's got might, might be the number one pick in the draft. That kid out of Ohio state is ridiculous. If you watched him in that Wisconsin game, it looked like man amongst boys, Joey Bosa, Nick Bosa, neither one of them as good of a prospect as Chase Young. So yeah, he might be the number one pick in the draft as a defensive player. There's no question there. As for Tua, man, I just hope he plays next Saturday against LSU, frankly. Bama installed, by the way, is a seven-point favorite in that game. Might get to that And last but not least. Dave, you get the last word for the callers today, of course, before Amy Lawrence takes over in about half an hour. Dave, you're on the Danny Parkins show. What's up, man?
0: Hey, thanks, Danny. Um, got a comment about Andy Reid. Look, I, you said he's the second-best coach. We've got to settle this once and for all. He's a very good season coach. I'll give you that. He's, he's been doing it for 20 years. He's never won anything. You can take Harbaugh of Baltimore, Carroll. You can take uh, Peyton of New Orleans. Those are all better coaches. Anybody who has won a Super Bowl is a better coach than uh you, so,
2: you, so you're comfortable with doing the analysis of coaches based on whether or not they've won a Super Bowl or not? You're comfortable with that? Yes.
0: Yes, you know why? Let me tell you why, Danny. Because you play with the ultimate of winning the Super Bowl, and it's a combination of the yin and the yang between defense and offense.
2: Well, are the you game comfortable game with is- doing that for players? Like for quarterbacks?
0: No, no. See, the thing is, a coach is responsible for the whole team, and he has to hire coaches. And the thing is, you have to use your offense in conjunction with the defense to have a strategy to win a game. You can't just focus on offense. Everybody, right. He's like, he's, he's like playing arena football. You got well, so, play- so, so, like,
2: you mentioned Sean Payton, right? So, Sean Payton. Sean Payton has Drew Brees. Drew Brees is the best passer of his generation and is a first-ballot Hall of Famer. So that makes Sean Payton a better coach than Andy Reid because he's blessed with a Hall of Fame quarterback?
0: Don't, there's been guys, Trent Dilfer of Baltimore, there's, there's, there's quarterbacks that have had no talent that have won Super Bowls. You have to – you have to, No, I know, and Sean
2: Payton has won one Super Bowl with a first ballot Hall of Famer. Reed and, like, Andy, Andy Reid has a better win-loss record. He has more winning seasons. He has fewer losing seasons than Sean Payton. But Sean Payton has Drew Brees.
0: You said he's the second best coach, and that he's great. He those is. are superfluous. Those are those are overstatements. Those are overstatements, really.
2: You know, I mean, John Harbaugh coached under Andy Reid, right?
0: Okay, I didn't know that, but obviously he's he's out the master then, because. He's won something, and he, nobody even talks about him. About John, I would say, listen, John
2: Harbaugh, I was texting with a buddy about it today. He might be the third best coach in the NFL. John Harbaugh's awesome. I think John Harbaugh is a fantastic coach. I think uh, Kyle Shanahan is a fantastic coach. I think Frank Reich is a fantastic coach. Man, I'm a big believer, and you've got to do – like doing more with less and coaching guys up is a huge part of it, and I appreciate the call, but – Andy, I mean, Kevin Cobb, Mike Vick, Jeff Garcia, Donovan McNabb, Alex Smith, all these guys had their best seasons of their career with Andy Reid. None of them are going to sniff a hall of fame, five NFC title game appearances, an NFC championship, basically never has a losing record. Dude's a magician week to week to week. And now he's got a hall of fame talent at quarterback and he's going to win the Super Bowl. So when Andy Reid wins a Super Bowl with Pat Mahomes, whether it's this year, next year, the year after, they'll win it eventually. When that happens, now he can be the second best coach in the league. That just seems like silly analysis to me when we already see it right in front of us. Last but not least, coming up next, but-
1: this is the Danny Parkin Show. With time running out, we still have a few questions we didn't get answers to. Danny Parkins gives us his thoughts on a couple of different stories in this week's edition of Last But Not Least.
2: All right, this is where I turn it over to my executive producer, Ryan Hickey. He asks the questions. I give the answers. We move through it real quick. But, uh, man, a lot to get to this week. Lots of big sports stories, including one big one coming up next week that I know we'll touch on. So, Ryan, go ahead. What do you got?
5: All right, Daniel, let's start some college football. Florida State announced earlier today they fired their head coach, Willie Taggart, coming off their 27-10 loss to Miami yesterday. Taggart now uh, 9-12 and with the Seminoles in the year and a half plus. He's been there. Seminoles 4-5 and on the year this year, in danger of missing a bowl game. They missed a bowl game last year as well. Willie Taggart went to Florida State, signed a six-year, $30 million contract and that buyout is a hefty one, $17 million, which happens to be the second largest buyout in NCAA history behind Charlie West in Notre Dame. So, did Florida State fire Taggart too soon? So,
2: they didn't fire him too soon because they had the money to buy him out, which is a remarkable thing. Like, in a vacuum, just from a football sense, sure, right? You got to set up your recruiting classes and you got to build the program in your image and all of that stuff. And I'm not going to claim to be any expert at Florida State recruiting, but what I can do is look at rankings and Taggart never had a top 10 recruiting class of his two at Florida State. That's shocking given his reputation and what the Seminoles should be and what, listen, it's abhorrent that you can come up with 20 million bucks in 24 hours and fire a coach of amateur sports. Like that just shows how much insane money is in these programs. But when you think about it, how many programs should have a recruiting advantage over Florida state, right? Let's name them Texas because you know, Texas and all the money Bama because you know, Bama and Saban and all of the winning Clemson because the money the winning the fun the prestige they're the it program of the time Ohio State the only good program north of the Mason Dixon line unbelievable high school recruiting ground with no real competitor both in the Big Ten and in state and then, like, you start to get into debates, really. USC or Florida State? Who should have a better recruiting edge? It's pretty close. Uh, LSU or Florida State? Georgia or Florida State? Like, Florida State should be the fifth through eighth, somewhere in their best recruiting hotbed team right now. They should be the clear cut, second best team in the ACC. There's no reason in this environment when all of the talent for college football is concentrated in the Southeast portion of the country and Clemson's recruiting kids from California. And like, everyone is just flocking to that geographic hotbed and the path through the playoff in the ACC is you got to beat Clemson. That's it. It's not like it for Bama. Who's got to beat Auburn and LSU and Georgia. Like, there's no reason Florida State should not be recruiting top 10 classes every year, flirting with top five and number one classes. He didn't do it. They had the money. So it's not too soon for him at that job. But in a vacuum, of course that's too soon. You didn't give him a chance to be successful. What's next?
5: So you just handed out earlier, Danny, it is finally game week for the biggest matchup in college football this year. LSU Alabama will take place a Saturday. Crimson Tide early seven-point favorites. I just still await Tua lowest health, not officially uh, listed to play, um, but we do believe—or at least most people believe—that he will suit up on Saturday. So, what's your early read for this game?
2: God, I'm excited for it. I'm supposed to be buying a car on Saturday, so I gotta—I got to get that done early. This game's at 2:30. It's kind of fun when the uh, the 2:30 game on CBS is the big one, and it's not that night game. Like, it just it feels feels very SEC. So I'm very, very excited for this game. The question will be, obviously, can the loser make the playoff? The answer is probably yes. My my read on it is, until proven otherwise, I still consider Bama and Clemson to have a gulf between them and everybody else in college football. I don't care what the rankings say. So my expectation is that Bama reasserts itself as the number one team in the country and the class of the sec and Clemson will not get its chance to do that until the playoff because of how terrible the acc is and texas a&m happened to be down this year who they scheduled non-con now they'll get south carolina at the end of the year who beat georgia so you know that's a rivalry game but Clemson won't get its chance to validate this season until they're undefeated in the playoff bama gets its chance to validate this team this season this upcoming week And until proven otherwise, I believe that those two programs are still, there's still a gulf between them and whoever you think the third best program is, Oklahoma, Ohio State, Georgia, whomever. And this year, don't get me wrong, LSU has the best resume. Ohio State has passed the eye test most impressively this season. So I'm not being an elitist for those two programs. But until they actually prove it on the field against Clemson or Bama, all of the other programs are playing for third place. So I expect Bama to win and to cover, and yes, for Tua to play. But the game's going to be awesome. It's going to feel like a playoff game. It's going to feel like the game of the year, and I can't wait for it. What's next?
5: So the NBA is a few weeks in here, and one of the biggest surprises so far has been the Miami Heat, 5-1 and on the year. They absolutely smoked the Rockets earlier tonight. And those, they do have some decent wins overall. They have the Bucs. Uh, they have a win against the Bucs. Beat the Hawks twice already. And they do it on the best average point differential per game in the NBA. So are you buying the Heat as legitimate Eastern Conference uh, contender so far? So
2: I have to see more, but I've seen some. And here's what the Heat have going for them. They've got a great coach. They have a breakout star. This Kendrick Nunn kid, watch his highlights. He is ridiculous. Just scoring at will, scoring 20 a game. Unbelievable NBA debut. And they are really deep, right? They've got Jimmy Butler. I loved Justice Winslow. Like, they're long, they're athletic, they're deep. Uh, so, with Nunn and James Johnson and Dragic and Tyler Hero, I mean, they, they are a really deep, really well-coached team that's going to have a high... Regular season work ethic, because that's how Jimmy Butler runs a team. He's a he's the captain of the Tryhards. They will give that 100 effort. All that stuff. So depth, length, coaching, seating, all that. So say they work really hard and get the one seed in the East. Say it happens. We're six games into this thing. Bucks come in, they got the best player. Sixers come in, they got the best player. And that usually gets it done in the NBA. And they'll arguably have the top two players. Depending on how Middleton and Simmons are playing at that time and how Jimmy's playing at that time. Because Jimmy's clearly better than those guys now. But both of them, I think, are in line to take another step to their game. So, do I think they're a legitimate Eastern Conference contender? No, I don't. But I thought six games ago... But there were only two teams to pay attention to. I was ignoring the Pacers, the Celtics, the Heat, the Magic, the Hawks. Like I, I was ignoring all of the East outside of Philly and Milwaukee. Miami has shown me enough early to say they're a maybe. I'll lean no, but they are a maybe. And uh, if for nothing else, fun to watch. They are, they are a tier one NBA organization. Like Pat Riley, South Beach, Tax Breaks. They do a nice job of building that organization and turning over that roster quickly and being relevant damn near most years in the NBA. That is a... It's not quite on that Spurs level, but they they are a really, really good organization. What's the last one?
5: We'll finish with this. Every NFL team is played at least half their schedule so far. So talking about MVP earlier in the show, Christian McCaffrey, like you highlighted, has had a great resume so far. Deshaun Watson been electric. Patrick Mahomes, when he's been healthy, has been as advertised. Lamar Jackson tonight just absolutely showed out. So halfway through the NFL season, who is your MVP so far?
2: So, I mean, I know I've talked around it sometimes on the show tonight, but it's, it's Russell Wilson. Christian McCaffrey can do it. He's going to need some quarterbacks to have bad games and high-profile spots. Maybe another injury or two, split the vote a little bit. McCaffrey's going to need to set the yards from scrimmage record and have 20 plus touchdowns. He's pacing for being 20 yards, 21 yards short of the uh, all time scrimmage yard record, and he's pacing for 26 touchdowns, which would be more than enough. I think Christian McCaffrey's going to win offensive player of the year and a quarterback's going to win MVP because that's how history has dictated it. As of now, I would have Russell Wilson 1, Lamar Jackson 2, Deshaun Watson 3, Pat Mahomes 4, Aaron Rodgers 5 among the quarterbacks with Christian McCaffrey the only non-quarterback who can win the award. Mahomes, his only shot is if he comes back healthy probably this week and goes on an absolute tear and he plays like he did last season when they get healthy. So if he has like a per game average that so shows out, people are ah, he's the best player. He just got hurt. So I think Mahomes still has an outside shot at it, but I put it at like 5%, like 20 to 1. I think Russell Wilson's the heavy favorite, but Lamar Jackson did himself a world of good. You can't do better than beating the Patriots on Sunday night football as an underdog. So it's a it's a wide open race right now that I would give to Russell Wilson at this moment. Thanks to Ryan Hickey, my executive producer, everyone, for keeping me on the air in New York. Peter Schwartz handled the updates. Matt Moore and Jeff Schwartz were my guests. My name is Danny Parkins. Thank you so much for listening to The Danny Parkins Show. Amy Lawrence is coming up next. This is CBS
3: Sports Radio. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on What's in Your Podcast queue. And guess what?